Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. Very recently, I did a podcast about guns, and I got a huge amount of feedback from many of you. Some of you were correcting me, some of you were agreeing with me, some of you were asking for more information. I was very grateful for the feedback. And so I want to talk a bit more about guns. This is not an area of my specialty, as you'll discover in just a second. Um, but I think it's an important topic. I think it's important we talk about it. And I'm, I think that some of you are resonating with my sort of moderate stance on guns. Uh, and maybe that's a little bit different from what you're hearing from people on different extremes or different uh, sides of the issue in our culture today. So let's talk some more about it. But I want to start with an apology. I did something in that podcast that I have done once before, and I know better than to do it. It is completely my fault and a result of my absent-mindedness when I'm talking about things I'm passionate about, and that is that I called the AR-15 rifle, which I was talking about because it was used by the shooter in the Parkland school shooting in Florida. I called the AR-15 an automatic weapon. I know better. Believe me, I know better. Not only have I been corrected before, I've actually held an AR-15. I know it is not an automatic weapon. I know that AR does not stand for assault rifle or automatic rifle. It's the initials of the manufacturer. I know that 15 is not a number related to anything automatic, that it is uh, instead the number of times the manufacturer uh, worked on this rifle to get it right. Uh, I'm very aware of this. I'm Again, I have good friends who advise me on such things. I walk with a lot of military buddies here in D.C. And oh boy, did they let me know that I had screwed up. So three times in that, but that podcast, I referred to the AR-15 as an automatic weapon. I'm sad that I did that uh, because I don't want to be adding confusion to our public debate about guns uh, in this generation. And uh, also because I just want to be accurate. I, I want to be right. I don't want to get it wrong. You need to know that we don't pull podcasts unless I say something that is absolutely going to cause damage to people. Uh, I will occasionally make mistakes, usually. I will correct them. We either will correct it in the text that accompanies the podcast online, or I will correct it in a future podcast like I'm doing now. So rarely are we ever going to pull a podcast unless I inadvertently say something that's going to get people hurt. Uh, mis mislabeling the AR-15 is not going to get people hurt. It might, uh, you know, for a week here, mess up some people's understanding of the debate, but now I'm clarifying. So the AR-15 is not an automatic weapon. You have to pull the trigger each time it fires around. You can't hold the trigger down so it just releases rounds automatically. That is not what it is. Um, it is possible to put a very large magazine in it, um, up to 50 rounds, I'm told. And then you can just pull the trigger rapidly 50 times and it, and it does damage because of its uh, velocity and because of the speed with which the rounds are, uh, are, are firing and how, how many there are. But that's not the same thing as an automatic weapon. So I do sincerely apologize. The last thing I want to do in the Stephen Mansfield podcast is cause any kind of ignorance to increase. Now let's talk about some, some of the questions that you have asked about guns, uh, some of the things you want to debate, some of the things you want to discuss, and, and keep the comments coming. I'm, I'm happy to dive in. Uh, a great many people wrote in about the constitutional issues around uh, the, the Second Amendment. They're hearing about the Second Amendment. They don't know much about the Second Amendment. And so let me just give a brief uh, overview 
I'm not going to be exhaustive about this. Whole volumes are written on this. There are people who uh, are lawyers and legal scholars and have whole careers devoted to this. But the Second Amendment says a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Now, you need to know that this was written at a time when it was essentially understood in English law that the right for citizens to bear arms was essential to their defense. It was essential to their protection, um, both from criminals and in some cases from errant civil magistrates. And so uh, this was very much the thinking. But now it's the very wording of the Second Amendment that causes so much trouble in our modern debate because it begins with a well-regulated militia. So uh, those who are on what we might call the left side of this debate, uh, those who are not pro as pro-gun ownership by individuals as others are, say the only thing the founding fathers intended to do here was to allow arms to be kept by those who were in militias. In other words, there was a, a, a civil government function here that is described, not necessarily ownership for sport and, uh, and individual defense by individuals. And for example, Justice Ginsburg on the U.S. Supreme Court now would make the case that the whole of the text here of the Second Amendment has to be judged by the issue of a well-regulated militia. That's the opening clause. That's the, uh, the meaning that hovers over all the meaning of everything else there. Uh, others, obviously, the NRA, others who are, are, are in, in favor of gun rights, of the right to keep and bear arms of individuals for sport, for hunting, for defense— Focus on those two words, keep and bear arms. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. So as often happens in legal debates, it's almost where you put the emphasis. Do you put the emphasis on a well-regulated militia or do you put the emphasis on the right of the people to keep and bear arms? Um, Our founding fathers clearly believed that an armed citizenry um, was a safer citizenry. And they also believed that this was a right individuals had. In the Federalist number 46, I'm reading, this is of course the 46 of the Federalist Papers, which was a defense of the Constitution. Uh, James Madison said uh, he was critical, for example, of European nations or European kingdoms, he called them, which contemptuously uh, were afraid to trust the people with arms. You see how he was thinking that being trusting the people with arms is a, an important right. Uh, he also assured his fellow, fellow citizens that they need never fear their government because of the advantage of being armed. So that's how the founding fathers thought. I think James Madison captured it very, very well. What's interesting is that we had uh, Supreme Court rulings earlier in American history that seemed to lean towards the uh, well-regulated militia argument, seemed to see uh, the entire of gun rights as belonging to governments, uh, not to individuals. But that all changed. Any questions about that changed in 2008 when the U.S. Supreme Court issued its ruling in District of Columbia v. Heller and absolutely held that the amendment protects, that the the Second Amendment protects an individual right to possess and carry arms, firearms. So if you are in question at all, yes, the U.S. Supreme Court recently, by the way, that's only, what, 10 years, a decade ago, 
that that ruling came down. Uh, recently, the Supreme Court said in District of Columbia v. Heller that the Second Amendment does guarantee individuals, not just the state, not just militias, not just the Army Reserve, for example, uh, does guarantee the state, the um, I'm sorry, individuals, the right to possess arms. And then in a very interesting case, Caetano v. Massachusetts in 2016 took it a little bit further and said that the Second Amendment also protects uh, protects the owning of weapons that were not in existence at the time of the founding. This case had to do with a woman carrying a stun gun, um, I believe in Massachusetts, in Boston, by the way. And so uh, the question was, is it legal for her to carry a stun gun? And the Supreme Court said, yes, that this Second Amendment does protect the owning of weapons that were not in ex- of a kind that were not in existence uh, at the time that the Second Amendment was drafted. So uh, the, the Supreme Court has been pretty broad in recent decades uh, in its application of the Second Amendment. It does not simply see the Second Amendment as being about uh, the authority of civil government or or just regulated militias uh, organized by the government, but instead that the individuals have the right to keep and bear arms and that they can keep and bear arms of a kind that could not have even, of course, been conceived by, by the founding fathers. So that's that's a that's a brief overview. Of course, uh, you know that all comes into some debate and into some contention when we have shootings and when we have the kind of shooting we had in Florida. The problem in Florida, a lot of it has to do with the age of the young man. First of all, he was mentally inst- unstable. Second of all, there had been about thirty formal complaints about his behavior, uh, but then uh, he waited until he was uh, beyond the age of 18, so he could buy his AR-15, and that was in a state where he couldn't have walked in a bar to buy a beer. So this is part of the debate, part of the discussion that's going on, is that we have uh, a young man who, again, couldn't walk into a bar to buy a beer, but he could buy a semi-automatic, notice I said semi-automatic weapon, and did such horrible damage. Now, some people uh, wrote in and asked me, um, what about restrictions? Well, I'm, again, not an expert in this. I'm not a a lobbyist when it comes to guns at all, trust me. Um, But I have made the point in previous podcasts that it seems to me that in a reasonable society, uh, certain uh, cautions, certain provisions um, are perfectly uh, reasonable when it comes to the purchasing of guns. For example, uh, I have no problem with what some states, what some people have called a cooling off period. Um, if uh, under certain conditions, if I come in if uh, to a gun store, if I'm angry, um, if I seem to be in a rush, I don't know what the provisions would be. In some cases, I certainly can see a cooling off period. In some states, they've even proposed that a guy ought to buy a gun and then wait a week for it. Why, why, why does he need it? Anybody who needs a gun overnight probably isn't up to any good. I, you know, I got to tell you, in theory, until somebody talks me out of it, uh, I'm good with that. I'm good with it being the call of the gun store owner, and I'm good with it being a standard cooling off period. So what if I have to, uh, you know, go into a gun store, choose the gun I want and come back and get it three days later? It just doesn't seem to be that big a deal um, when it might save lives. People sometimes are killed by guns that were purchased just hours before. It doesn't happen often, but apparently it does happen. I have no problem with a background check. If I want to buy a gun, I go into a store, I choose my weapon, I make my payment, 
I give them my basic information and there's some database, there's some background check. I'm checked for criminal activity. I'm checked for uh, mental illness. I don't see a problem with that. Uh, why not a background check? Uh, I've, I've shared a number of times in these podcasts um, that I have a, a, a concealed carry permit. I had to have an extensive background check to carry a weapon. Um, I don't have any problem with that being applied to some degree to the purchase of weapons as a, as a whole. And by the way, particular to weapons that are way beyond the scope of simple defense, sport, and hunting. I, 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 have, a, I have a little bit of a, uh, I, I don't see any, any reason uh, that there shouldn't be a background check for somebody who buys an AR-15. I don't have any problem with that. And I'll tell you another thing that I don't have any problem with. And again, I'm, I'm happy to be talked out of this. And I know right off the bat that some of my uh, more armaments-oriented friends are going to be upset with me for saying this. And, and again, I'll probably have dinner tonight with some people who won't like what I'm saying here in some cases. But my point is that I, I don't have any problem with the issue of registering weapons, uh, in part so that we the government can know when somebody is amassing weapons. Uh, I don't know the exact stats as I sit here right now, but the number of weapons that the Las Vegas shooter had should have alerted authorities that something was up. I mean, for, for, for a kid in Florida to have one AR-15, I realize that's not going to raise any flags. But the shooter in Las Vegas had dozens and dozens of guns. I believe I've been told 46 um, uh, guns. Now, now if a guy's got 46 weapons and he's not running a, a, a store uh, and he doesn't run a game ranch or something, then somebody should at least drop by for a visit. Seems to me. Seems to me there's at least a, a point at that there. If somebody owns 15 AR-15s, if that's even allowed. Um, it seems like it's, it's it's perfectly legitimate for someone to say, what's up? What you doing? What, what are these for? You don't own a gun range. Uh, why do you have these stacked up in your bedroom closet? Doesn't seem like that's a problem to me. Now, having said all that, I, I want to maybe seem to you like I'm switching sides on this debate. And that is that I, I believe in gun skills being being taught the young to the young. I like the lore of weaponry being taught to the young. I took my kids and we shot pistols together. I taught them how to use them. My daughter, my son, I taught them how to use a weapon. Uh, my son borrows my weapons from time to time. He lives in Washington, D.C., so he's not keeping any him, himself. Um, I believe in teaching those skills. I want him, I want my daughter to be comfortable with guns. I want them to know how they work. I want them, if they choose to, to be able to own them for sport, for hunting, for defense. It's perfectly fine with me. Uh, I like the heritage of it. Um, I like them knowing about it. I teach as a historian, not not as an expert on weaponry, but just the difference between a musket and a rifle and the difference that that made in our wars. And I think this is all part of our history. It's a skill I want them to have. Uh, I want them to have a respect for weapons. I want them to have a respect, by the way, for uh, hunters and, and what that's meant in our history and, and, and what even just the acquisition of food requires in some cases. Um, and, I, and and yes, I want them to have them for defense. I don't want them to be crazy about it, walk around in fear, uh, but I want them to have them for defense. So I, I, I'm, a, I'm a big advocate of that. And, and I'm not trying to convince anyone listening to this podcast that they should run out and buy a gun. Um, but, I, but I think this is something that is allowed to us by, as citizens, something we ought to have. And increasingly in our world, I don't, I don't mind saying that I, I think for good people, who are skilled and experienced uh, to have and carry uh, arms uh, just makes society better. As I've said before, I'm no great shakes. I'm a pretty good shot. I'm often carrying a pistol. Um, and people around me are safer because I, I am. I don't see myself as the savior or protector of the world, but 
if I'm sitting with a couple of my friends at a basketball game and I happen to know that they, they, they have concealed carry too, let me assure you that that game's safer because we're there and we're not even thinking about it. But just because good people who shoot a lot know what they're doing, have got weapons, um, if some shooter decides to you know start shooting up the audience at a basketball game, at least there's some answer uh, and the police have some help. I realize there's debates about this, but I'm just telling you what, I, what seems reasonable to me. Um, I think that there's something we've got to think about. This is another thing somebody asked about. Uh, and that is that in our present world, it, with the level of violence that's happening, with the, with the guns that are out there in the wrong hands, in the hands of unstable people, we've got to begin to look at every large gathering that happens in our society and ask ourselves, are the people safe? We've seen schools shot up, churches shot up. Uh, I don't think there have been any major sporting events. We've seen elementary, little, little nursery schools shot up. We've seen shootings at malls. Um, we've got as a, as a society to begin to consider the safety of every large gathering that happens in our society. Every church needs to consider um, not, again, putting, you know, AR-15s in every window or making all the deacons train or anything like that. But what would you do if somebody walked in? You know, in that horrible shooting in Texas, uh, it was one guy with a gun who drove off the shooter and um, I believe actually shot him and then put him in a position where um, the police then could could capture the man or, or, or finish him off, so to speak. But the man was at least run away, run away from the church um, because a person who didn't even attend that church um, came at him with a weapon. It's a debate we're going to have. It's grisly. It's not easy. Uh, anyone who advocates gun ownership and gun skills uh, as a safety measure in our society ends up sounding like a gun nut, and I'm not. Um, but we've got, I, I just strongly urge that those of you who are pastors, those of you who head schools, those of you who uh, bring together large gatherings of any time, of any kind, I'm not wanting you to walk in fear. I'm not wanting you to be nervous. I'm not wanting you to, uh, you know, to arm up in some ridiculous way. But we've got to begin to consider that we're living in a society where we have enemies, where we have mentally unstable people, where guns are often in the wrong hands and not in the right hands. And we need to look at every large gathering and consider the safety of that gathering. A couple of more small things. Somebody asked me what my favorite gun is. Um, I have a Kember 1911, which is a 45 caliber, and I love it. I have large hands. I enjoy shooting that um, on, at the range. It's my favorite weapon. It's what I'm often carrying, and I love it very much. I think the important thing, this, is, this goes to the, a question a lot of people asked. Uh, the important thing uh, is that we not just have to consider our constitutional rights, and we not have to not just have to consider uh, the current laws on the books, but we have to consider what's happening in our world. Um, in the United States, mentally unstable, emotionally unstable, young white men are doing most of the damage when it comes to shootings. When it comes to violence, uh, it's not ISIS. It's not for the most part in our society as a whole, men of color. That, that I certainly can point to regions of the society um, where young African-American men with guns are doing horrible damage, south side of Chicago, for example, et cetera. Um, but for the most part in our society, it's mentally troubled, emotionally troubled, young white men who are doing most of the damage. And most of them are what we would call self-radicalized. They have gotten angry. They have gotten upset. Uh, they have gotten supercharged. They have grown violent uh, in a process that very few other people, if anyone, is involved in. That's why parents don't know about it. It's why teachers and coaches don't tend to know about it. So we have a society 
in which, in a sense, the barbarians who might become the invaders of our lives are arising from within the society, not so much coming from without. That's, this is not, by the way, a commentary on immigration. I'm not talking about immigration right now. I'm talking about what we're growing in our society. And if you listen to my podcast at all, you know I care very much about the issue of men in our society, spend a lot of time speaking to men, urging men to be mentors. We need to pay attention to what's happening amongst young men in our society, especially young white men. Please don't think I'm excluding anybody else of any other color, but I'm just talking about the damage being done. We've got to pay attention to the troubled youth. We've got to pay attention to the unfathered youth. We've got to, as they say in my largely African-American church here in D.C., get a hand on a man, get touch them, be with them, be close to them, be near them, know what's going on, and try to make a difference. We've got a difficult society Yes, gun ownership is a right and it's a privilege and it's something that uh, probably does make us safer um, and something that I am I practice myself. But that's not the only issue. I could have 15 fantastic weapons uh, in my home and that doesn't solve the societal issue of mentally and emotionally disturbed young white men who go violent. So let's make sure we keep our eye on the ball here. Whatever the rights are, whatever kind of weapon the shooters have, uh, whatever's going on legally, constitutionally, whatever protests are happening in D.C., it's all important. It's all part of a national debate. But I'm going to say it one more time so we don't forget it. Emotionally and intellectually disturbed, young white men who go violent are doing the most of the damage. Let's see if we can make a difference there as we assert our other rights as well. Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times best-selling author, a popular speaker, and a frequent faith and culture commentator on Fox and CNN. His groundbreaking books on faith and society include The Faith of George W. Bush, The Search for God in Guinness, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, and Lincoln's Battle with God. Learn more at stephenmansfield.tv.